Hey everyone, Tom Salemi of Device Talks here. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's cause for celebration. Chris Newmarker is back. We'll have him and his Newmarker's Newsmakers in just a bit. And a little later on, we're going to talk about sleep apnea. Of course, many of you know, Philips Respironics announced a voluntary recall for certain CPAP machines. It was due to the deterioration of sound abatement foam used in these devices. So it was a big hit for a lot of CPAP, excuse me, for a lot of apnea sufferers. But uh, we'll talk with two companies, Inspire Medical Systems and ResMed who are filling the gap and who are providing their own solutions for apnea. So first, we'll speak with Tim Herbert of Inspire Medical Systems. We had Tim on the podcast uh, earlier this spring, earlier this year. So you can find that on devicetalks.com. We'll talk specifically about the recall, about what Inspire is doing to uh, help folks with apnea. And uh, we'll also talk a bit about uh, covid and how Inspire Medical Systems is coming back from that. Later on, I'll speak with Mick Farrell, the CEO of ResMed, which is the largest provider of CPAP machines. Uh, Mick is a a great guy with an interesting story and uh, a really, really astounding commitment to uh, apnea. He uh, conveys the severity of the disease very vividly. And uh, I always learn a lot when I speak with Mick. So great, uh, great guest for you today, Tim Herbert of Inspire Medical Systems and Mick Farrell of ResMed. But now it's time to bring in my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker, the executive editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device. All right, we're going to turn that that music down. Add the celebration music going, Chris Newmarker, because you're back, Chris Newmarker. Woo! Newmarker, been, back in the house. It's been months, years, even. It seems like forever. It was forever. I remember when we used to like do this uh, do this podcast over the telegraph. That's Can right. it even be a podcast if you're doing it over telegraph because it's on Morse code. It would just been like you know, <laughs> and something like that. I don't know. But here we are. We're back. And, yeah. and you brought a friend. We have Danielle Kirsch, Senior Editor of Life Sciences. Hey, Danielle. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you, Danielle. Yeah, it's great to get the gang back together. I was so lonely. I had to do the podcast by myself last week. But sad. We've got, we've got lots. <laughs> <laughs> Very sad. <laughs> so sad. We have lots to talk about. But first, Chris, I've got a, uh, a gripe about you, actually, a listener. What? Yeah. What? Yep, a listener of our bill. Yeah, he, he asked if if you really put your grill away for the winter. He suggested that this. He grew up in in Wisconsin. And he said they never put their grills away over the winter. In fact, it's the best time to grill. At one point, did you suggest you put your grill away? I don't want to hold you to it because I don't remember the specific. Oh reference. I have never. I do not recall <laughs> disclosing that. I do not. <laughs> I have no recollection of. of that even though it's probably recorded so all right, yeah. all right. so you you deny <laughs> completely ever saying that you put your grill away sure <laughs> <laughs> is your grill now in fact away mr newmark of course not it's still all right. sunny weather's nice yeah it's probably get some brats on the grill this weekend sounds there good we go. <laughs> great Fall. i'm glad, glad we can get the broad talk back yeah. that'll be our next podcast broad talk and, uh, and Danielle, this is kind of my, <laughs> my, my reenactment of courtroom scenes, because later on, you're going to give us an update on, on the, uh, the Theranos trial. You've been tracking that for Mass Device and MDO and other sites, and we'll get a little, uh, a little update on, uh, on what's happening there. So, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's roll into the uh, new markers, newsmakers. Chris, what do we have for number five? 
Here we go. Number uh, five off the on the list. We've got uh, you know CMS uh, you know announced that they uh, they're, they're proposing to kill the uh, Medicare coverage of innovative technology program. I mean the program didn't even start yet, but I mean, you know, <laughs> but, but you know it's like we were gonna do it. And now we're gonna like you know like you know to get rid of it before it even starts. And you know this uh, I mean this this program the idea was you had a uh, you know device designated as breakthrough by FDA gets authorization i mean you get a few years of medicare coverage you know like uh, on top of that and uh, there there was a lot of excitement inside mm-hmm. the industry about this i mean reimbursement getting reimbursement for medical device is tough you know so you know there was a lot of excitement about this but uh, you know medicare you know like you know, CMS was saying they're going to go back and uh, re-examine this program that you know came out of the final days of the Trump administration, and uh, they uh, they said they're they're now saying like no, we don't think it's in the best interests of uh, Medicare beneficiaries. So it's uh, d- disappointing news for the industry. It sure is, and it seems yeah. uh, it seems inconsistent with past. You never you've never seen zigs and zags like that with regulatory matters from administration to administration. Um, and maybe they were able to do that because it hasn't been implemented yet. But to have one administration adopt one policy and then less than a year later have it completely be ignored or forgotten or dropped or, or shifted from. Uh, it's not not good for business planning. It's not good for investing. Yeah. It's not good for, for anyone who's trying to create innovative medical devices. So it's, it's not even good for, I mean, you know, traditionally, yeah, the idea is like, you don't like just each administration, administration, you just don't just like get rid of rules, you know, because because then they wouldn't do anything each administration because the next one would just exactly. get rid of what they did, you know, so at least there should be a little, some consideration of it, but it looks like, uh, yeah, CMS is just zigzagging around. You're right. It's uh, off off it goes again. But, um, another another interesting point about this administration is that when I talked with Jeff Martha for the a recent Medtronic Talks podcast, we talked about the Intersect acquisition, and I'm sure we've reported on this, but one of the reasons it's not going to close probably until next year is just the, the the federal government is looking deeply at antitrust issues more so than I would think would be required. Um, but it That's just interesting. Seems, yeah, it takes antitrust very seriously, and they want to make sure there's no uh, antitrust violations. So uh, uh, if that is the case with large acquisitions like that one, it could uh, could be a slightly chilling or at least a slowing effect for. Uh, for medical device innovation, because again, M&A is a critical part of, of exiting. You know, this is just a total guess, but I'm wondering if, um, you know, I'm wondering if the extra scrutiny on the big tech companies that's going on, like mm-hmm. you know, all, the, all the look at like, you know, is, is Amazon a monopoly, is Facebook a monopoly? I mean, I wonder if that's just like creating this overall environment of like, well, you know, if we're, if we're going to be scrutinizing the big tech companies, we better scrutinize everything. You know, we're yeah, exactly. a lot more serious about antitrust laws. So I, I, I made yeah. that I made that joke to Jeff Martha, and I don't think he appreciated it very much, so. I said, are you the new Facebook? And he's like, God, I hope not. So, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so yes, yes. Quite the uh, jokester. Tom. Oh, yes. Quite the jokester, we have man. a lot of laughs here on these here podcasts. <laughs> so, uh, all right, let's move on to number four. Now, number four on the list, we've got uh, Zoll Medical. They're going to acquire Itamar Medical in a $538 million deal. And uh, Itamar, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. They've got a uh, FDA-cleared home sleep apnea uh, device. I mean, that's that's been a booming field. Uh, kind of some flux in that field lately because uh, Phillips has that like huge recall uh, going on. But it uh, looks like Zoll's going to get get more involved in there as well. You know, they're going to plop down about half a billion dollars to acquire a company. I will definitely have to follow up on that one because uh, today's podcasts uh, feature Tim Herbert from uh, Inspire Medical Systems and uh, Mick Farrell 
from ResMed, we talked about the apnea recall and the impact on those two companies. So it'll be interesting to see what, really what, what Zoll can do in this space. So we'll, uh, we'll, yeah, just a little preview. Did Mick talk at all about the supply issues? Because I mean, that, uh, that that was really fascinating that, um, I mean, here they got a big competitor like Philips that's, uh, you know, having having all these problems. And, you know, he's been, you know, saying that like, well, gosh, these you know semiconductor shortages and all that, like have been, uh, you know, like kind of inhibiting them ramping up. He did. Yeah. Well, we covered that yeah. in, in the interview. So I'll let, yeah. uh, let his words speak looking, for himself. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Good. Well, before we roll into our first interview with Tim Herbert of Inspire Medical Systems, Danielle, I, I, I'm sure our listeners are wondering why I have not asked about Barry the Groundhog yet. Do we have anything we can share with folks? No doubt they're, uh, they're wondering about MedTech's most beloved mascot. Yeah. Um, Barry went to jail. Um, <laughs> well, oh, the celebrity just know. went to his head. What happened? <laughs> the um, wildlife police came to my property to deal with uh, a skunk problem that I had. And he asked me if wow. I knew the people who lived behind me because they trapped a groundhog for them last week. And I was like, no, Barry. He was very sympathetic. He said, oh, poor Barry. Wow. So. Oh, that's just well. All right. Well, we'll we'll have to find ourselves a new uh, barometer of of medtech futures, I believe. And we don't know. We don't know Barry's fate. I hope this is getting very yeah, sad. I hope, I hope <laughs> he's just like in a field somewhere. I hope that's what his. That's what I, I his hope jail so is. too. That sounds. Let's just hope that's what happened. <laughs> My gosh, does that say anything about our podcast that our mascot got arrested? <laughs> <laughs> We're moving on. Hey, folks, Tom here. Just a reminder, season four of Device Talks Tuesdays starts this Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's September 21st. The discussion is being brought to you by Sugentia Innovation and TSG. And the title is Early FDA Strategy and Product Definition for Better Medical Device Development. It's a great conversation that I'll be leading. We'll find out the best way for startups to navigate their way through regulatory pathways. So join us on Tuesday at 4 p.m. You can find out more information at devicetalks.com. You can also scan the QR code on the front of this logo. That'll give you information about the speakers and tell you how to register. You can watch this live. You can watch it on demand, but you got to sign up. So go to devicetalks.com or scan that QR code. Well, Tim Herbert, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's great to be back. It's great to have you back. We had you back in the spring. I encourage people to go find that episode where they can hear how you came into the medtech industry and, and came to lead Inspire Medical. Uh, and, and it's, I think, if I recall correctly, I think when I talked to you back then, I, you, were, you were not at your office. So it was nice to see a big, big, beautiful panoramic view of Minneapolis behind you. Uh, things, are, things are getting somewhat back to normal. We're trying. We're doing everything we can. We've uh, people are tired of COVID. People yeah. want to get back in the office. They want to take care of procedures and take care of patients. And doing every everything we can to get that back to normal. You no, know, we when we talked, we were still pre-vaccine, so we've we we are entering. We hope a somewhat of a post-pandemic uh, stage. How have uh, how are things gone for you? What lessons have you? taken away from that whole uh, awful experience and are you doing anything differently at inspire medical as a result well i think the the covid world hasn't gone away yet with the delta variant yep. that everybody's talking about it's something that we need to be really aware of now the good news is both facilities and ourselves are, are much more um 
tooled up to be able to handle it and work around it. Um, physicians and do not want to stop procedures. Patients want their procedures. They've been vaccinated. They want to, they've been waiting long enough. They want their inspire uh, to start taking care of their disease. Uh, facilities don't want to lose the revenue. Facilities want to continue to take care of patients. And we have a good position that it is uh, a disease state management. It is treating obstructive sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. Well, we're able to work around a lot of the elective procedures, and we do get a priority in scheduling cases. We also have more centers. Now, while we're both outpatients, just a two-hour outpatient procedure or hour and a half, we can do that in the outpatient setting in the hospital, which oftentimes is separated from the main hospital, and that helps. But mm-hmm. we also have a lot more ambulatory surgical centers that are able to do the procedures away from the hospital setting. And so we have just more flexibility for patients to be able to receive their, their therapy. So just a little bit more flexibility uh, this time around. Obviously, we're encouraging everybody to get a vaccine. The mm-hmm. field staff, a lot of times, are just simply required by their the facilities and the hospitals. You got to have uh, appropriate vaccine to be able to protect the uh, patients and the staff. So that takes care of itself. So we uh, have come a long way with this. I think the uh, Delta variant really started in the southeast part of the United States, and we're seeing it break in uh, Florida. We're scheduling cases now in most centers there or most okay. cities. Mm-hmm. And but it started to migrate more a little bit, dealing a little bit in Atlanta, and I think people are going to still see the Delta variant push north. But again, we know it's there. We're on top of it, and we're we're really able to uh, better manage it without having to have that total shutdown like we did a year ago. And uh, uh, we had a brief conversation before I pushed record about how, as a medical advice company, you're you're working with uh, or trying to understand President Biden's directive of uh, requiring vaccination for uh, uh, contractors, government contractors, and of course, larger employers. Uh, do you have a grasp of, of all that yet? Um, and, and how are you how are you trying to get a handle on uh, on those new directives? Well, certainly we are encouraging every one of our employees to make sure they get vaccinated and we're tracking to, to make sure that they can do their jobs and they can go into facilities and take care of that. As far as President's, um, President Biden's um, statements, uh, we, we need to kind of figure out more what's going on there. We would be considered a contractor because we do VAs. We do military mm-hmm. hospitals. We work directly with the government. And so as these mandates come out, we will be part of that. And so we'll, we'll certainly have our team working closely um, with the official, officials to make sure that we understand uh, what the rules are and what's right to be able yep. to protect all of us, protect the patients, protect the healthcare providers. And we're going to do what, what we need to, to uh, comply and, and to continue to move forward. But there's a lot that's going to uh, shake out on that in the, in the coming weeks. Yeah. I have a feeling that'll be a, a separate podcast episode. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's focus on this, the topic of, of this episode, which is apnea. And uh, before we get into sort of understanding how the Phillips recall has impacted you and how you're approaching the apnea market, if you wouldn't mind just taking a minute and reminding listeners, uh, what is it, uh, how does Inspire Medical Systems help uh, people with apnea? Well, I think um, most people know what CPAP is. They know the respironics. I think uh, recently, you spoke with Mick uh, from ResMed. So people understand what CPAP is and the continuous positive airway pressure has been available for many years. It's a 
effective therapy. The challenge is not everybody can use it. And so for those people who are not compliant or refuse to use CPAP, uh, we introduced Inspire. Inspire is an implanted neurostimulation device that stimulates the hypoglossal nerve uh, to maintain an open airway. So if you think of a CPAP using pressure to hold the airway open while Mm -hmm. patients sleep to allow air to get to the lungs, we basically do the same thing, except using pressure, we use stimulation to the hypoglossal nerve that also shunts the airway open and allows patients to breathe. Uh, we have well over 16,000 patients. Now we've been FDA approved since 2014. We now have uh, coverage with uh, the great majority of commercial payers, all the large payers from Anthem to Aetna to United, the Blue Cross, Blue, Seat, Blue Shield, and others. We have full Medicare coverage in all 50 states. We have contracts with the VAs and the military hospitals. So Inspire has a strong presence now and uh, certainly available to take care of those patients who are, are unable to benefit from CPAP. Talk a bit about where uh, the proce- your procedures are done. You, you mentioned the ASCs, and I think I read a release you had uh, just recently that you receive a a higher reimbursement for uh, procedures done at, at ambulatory surgical centers, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, wh- where is the procedure for Inspire Medical, the implant is implant, implantation done? Well, until recently, before a lot of the coverage was put in place, we did most of our procedures in academic hospitals. Okay. And then you migrate to large commercial hospitals. And it's only lately that uh, since the Medicare wrote the national policies or the the local coverage determinations at all the max to, to get full Medicare coverage, uh, that we're able to start opening up ambulatory surgical centers. Since we have signed national contracts with three firms to be able to offer Inspire at the ASC, uh, the reimbursement is um, strong this year. We have a brand new category one code that will be released January 1st. And wow. we work closely with CMS on the Pricing And most recently, we had a favorable vote from a CMS panel to keep that reimbursement level where it is today, which is very, very strong. So we think uh, um, we'll continue to grow and migrate towards ASCs. I think COVID is kind of helping that, too, because of the convenience factor of that mm-hmm. and, and some of the safety factor. But I think right now it's still small, still in the teens percent of our cases done in ASCs today. But I think that will continue to uh, migrate higher and, and the balance, of course, being done in a hospital setting. Right. So in, in regard to the, the, the CPAP and the Phillips recall, as you mentioned, I did talk to Mick Farrell for, Res, for ResMed. So they, he's selling the uh, another CPAP device. And we talked about the impact it's had on his business, which is more direct. I'm wondering how all of that sort of has worked for Inspire, has impacted your business at all? If it's uh, raised interest in alternatives to, to CPAP, if it's sort of deterred people from even treating apnea, have you had any kind of reverberations uh, and Inspire Medical as a result of the recall? Yeah, well, let's start with the patient. I always talk about the patient first and, and keep the patient um, at the forefront as we, as we walk through these uh, difficult discussions. Untreated obstructive sleep apnea has a significant risk, both the comorbidities, but, but, but immediately it has a serious quality of life factor that um, patients want to address, especially if they've been properly treated with CPAP for years. And all of a sudden that CPAP is pulled away for uh, um, unfortunate safety issues. Uh, 
they now revert to a worsened quality of life. Mm-hmm. And that's completely unacceptable. And so they are looking for alternative therapies to be able to take care of their sleep apnea. And with the risks of untreated moderate to severe sleep apnea, it's very appropriate that they do so. So yes, of course, we've received numerous phone calls of patients looking for what other alternatives are out there. I'm not going back to CPAP. I've tried that. I've been given the safety notice. I don't want to go back. And uh, we need to work with those patients. Make sure all of our physicians are aware Mm. Um, of the availability of Inspire and be able to communicate with the insurance companies that with the patients unwilling to go back to CPAP, um, that is certainly within their choice and that we can get that uh, patient approved for an Inspire procedure and they can move forward. So yes, we have had inbound um, patient inquiries. We uh, certainly take care of those patients uh, as well as all patients and uh, communicate with all the uh, healthcare staff as well. So do you think uh, there, there's a lot of things at play, the, 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 the moving of the pandemic, the lowering, the raising, depending where you are, uh, in, in, things that will impact your numbers, but do you anticipate that you'll be able to service more patients or will service more patients as a result of this? Well, I think the demand for patients wanting treatment will not decrease. Mm-hmm. Only again, because of the quality of life impact of moderate to severe sleep apnea, and with the uh, limitation on what available treatments are there, I think they will certainly do their research to find alternatives. And, and people have been getting to Inspire and getting to a website and inquiring via the advisor care program, which is our call center. And we've seen a significant number of calls, seen a lot of patients identify themselves as respironics and, and ask, what, what is Inspire for me? Can, can we, is this an option? if I don't want to go back to uh, CPAP. Have you done anything internally to bring more people on board or, or change your website to do anything to address uh, folks who may be looking for an alternative to CPAP? Or did well, you I have that in place already? We, we certainly have our direct-to-consumer approach. We've certainly been running a lot of TV, radio. We do Facebook, Google, a lot of social media to be able to get the word out about Inspire. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brand awareness so people understand that Inspire is available. It's a safe and effective therapy. Um, we always have been increasing our direct-to-consumer to help connect patients with healthcare providers. Uh, August 1st, we transitioned to uh, a new call center um, that uh, provides a greater capability and a greater ability to communicate with patients and get them in contact with the proper healthcare provider. So, we have continuously invested into our business. We continue to grow. And uh, this is just a, another um, item that brings more patients to the website for which we're gearing up and making sure that we're able to handle those inbound calls. Great. And just final broad question. When we spoke in March, we talked about other future applications you may have for Inspire Technology, how you want to broaden your, your reach into respiratory or into, actually into neuro as well. Any, any movement in that space? I know you're a publicly traded company, so <laughs> you're probably not going to move any markets with, with a statement here, but uh, any news coming up in Inspire Medical? that uh, I, think, I think the key is, is we do have uh, a unique closed-loop stimulation yep. and that we sense respiration uh, and we're able to provide stimulation synchronous with, with a patient's respiratory patterns, and that is what makes Inspire so effective. And we always look for other avenues in the uh, out on the horizon where closed loop stimulation can really be a benefit for patients. 
and uh, we'll continue our research and and start our own little ventures on on where else can we help people with their closed loop technology. So we'll leave it at that for right now, but certainly um, keep our antennas up and, and continue to do research and and especially in sleep apnea, but other areas as well. Excellent. Well, Tim Herbert, I appreciate you uh, taking the time and uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Very good, Tom. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you again. All right, we're back. Chris Newmarker, let's hear number three on the Newmarker's Newsmakers list. Well, number three on the list, we've got a federal court in New York. It uh, denied an injunction that Medtronic was seeking against the uh, you know former CEO of Medicrea, Joseph Wallen. Uh, you know, Wallen had left Medicrea shortly after Medtronic acquired it, and you know went over to AlphaTac, and you know like Medtronic decided they were non-compete problems. But the uh, you know the federal judge in New York you know said you know putting an injunction on Wallen would be a hardship on him. So uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see where that case goes from here. But um, but you know you know definitely uh, you know inter- interesting uh, you know non compete you know case going on in federal court in New York. Yeah, and Medicare has been a, a big part of uh, of Medtronic's story in, in, in spine uh, and in cranial. So uh, it's an integral part of their business going forward. So interesting. You know, it stuff. was it, it just this was just interesting to me was that the judge in New York was saying that um, you know that the the case actually should be covered under you know California rules versus uh, New York rules because you know Wallen had you know lived the majority of time in, in California in recent years and uh, and in his explanation he said like under the California law like there's actually uh, it's very it's, it seems like california law is, is frowns i guess upon like really uh, restrictive uh, non-compete agreements you know mm-hmm. like the way he yeah the way he described it was that california was saying like every yeah any contract where anyone is restrained from engaging in a lawful professional trade or business of any kind that's void so i mean that's uh, that's, that's interesting yeah that's consistent for that with that economy and just the way that the t- talent moves from uh exactly from from company to company so uh yeah Excellent. An interesting point. All right. What is, uh, what's number two? We've got, uh, two familiar company names in that one. Yeah. Number two on the list. We've got the, uh, COO of Dexcom, Quentin Blackford. He's going to leave and he's going to become the new, uh, CEO of iRhythm. Uh, so I mean, iRhythm, I mean, we had, uh, their, their former CEO on, I mean, he was like a veteran, uh, Medtronic executive who left, uh, you know, pretty, pretty soon because, you know, citing personal reasons. Uh, but you know, I, I think it says something that, you know, the CEO of Dexcom is leaving to join iRhythm. I mean, they seem to have a really, um, really good reputation in the digital health space. And, you know, and here you have iRhythm with this kind of like wearable heart rhythm Mm -hmm. monitoring technology and, uh, you know, Blackford's uh, leaving and saying, hey, I want to I want to run this thing. I want to see where I can take it. It's a good endorsement, I suppose, and, and, and must give people hope that they can move through these reimbursement challenges that they're yeah, facing. Yeah, they've been around the reimbursement yeah. you know, challenges with uh, going back to CMS again. Well, yep. Actually, it was their regional administrator, whatever. Whatever. Know, yeah. Whatever, yeah. Cool. All right, well, let us let us move on to number one, another big name. You know, number one, um, you know, we've been reporting for a while that, uh, you know, Zimber Biomed's been planning to spin off their uh, spine and dental businesses, but uh, now... Now we know what the name's going to be of the new company. You want, want to make a guess? Well, I don't have to guess. I have the article in front of me. So why don't well, you Well, just... yeah, that's true. <laughs> hit, it with a, hit me with it, Chris. It's, it's going to be uh, Zimvi. Okay. Zimvi, like Zim is in like Zimmer Biomet. And, you know, V is the uh, French word for life, which can, you know, symbolize the future. So Zimvi, which um, I, I don't know about 
you, but it sounds a little similar to like AbbVie, like the way Abbott like spun off their pharma business as AbbVie, uh, you know, but, uh, but yeah, that's what, uh, I don't know, that's, that's going to be the name. So it's got a nice, nice zip to it for sure. And it's got uh, a zip. Yeah. Excellent. You know, and they, uh, you know, uh, Zimmer Biomet's based in uh, Indiana, uh, but the uh, this new company, ZimV, is going to be uh, based in uh, in Colorado. And they say that this is still on uh, the deal, still on track to close in uh, in mid twenty twenty two. So uh, Danielle, you'll have a new company to add to our big one hundred roundup, largest companies. Yeah, probably one of two or three Z companies that I can think of. So more Z's the better, I suppose. Yep. They'll definitely be one of the largest ortho companies in the world as well. Fantastic. And before we get into uh, Danielle's report from the Theranos trial, one thing I forgot to uh, ask about at the top, because I got distracted by brat talk, was the uh, one, of the, one of the things that kept you away from this podcast, Chris Newmarker, was our medical device handbook. It's all yes. I heard about. All I heard about for the past month. Medical oh, handbook, handbook, this, handbook. Handbook that. I was getting a little jealous. Tell our listeners about this wonderful handbook that, that we put well, together. That you put together. Hearing, I had nothing so, to do with it. <laughs> you put together. That is, that is not true, actually. You had, I mean, you know, we, um, you know, you heard about it so much because, I mean, there's like over 35 articles in, in uh, this handbook that just published and it just went up on a uh, medical design outsourcing, you know, website as a digital edition. But, you know, over 35 what is and how to type of articles that just like cover the breadth of you know medical device creation and uh, i also say that i've i've been uh, proud that with each succeeding year i think we get more expertise into that handbook from uh, the uh from people inside the big medical device companies and i mean this year we have you know articles that we uh that, that you know came out of interviews we did with uh you know you know, people at, uh, you know, Medtronic, Boston Scientific, uh, Edwards Life Sciences, just to, just to name a few. Uh, you know, we also have an article, uh, like about, uh, you know, you know, like, like lessons that Stryker learned from, uh, you know, using a 3D printing to, you know, advance uh, orthopedic devices. That was from an interview that uh, you had on, uh, you know, our Device Talks Tuesdays webinars with uh, Naomi Murray. So, mm -hmm. you know, there actually are a few articles on handbooks that come from uh, the Device Talks uh, Tuesdays webinars. They've kind of good good resource for the handbook. So, so there you go, Tom, you, you helped out with the handbook too. You, <laughs> you were part of it. Yay. So hey. how can people find the metal device handbook? Hey, just check out the digital issues on uh, medical design outsourcing. And uh, we also have a uh, article that's kind of interactive on MDO too, that you can click through like the, everything you want to know about medical device creation. So you can Google that up and check that out as well. Now, now, true or false, the metal device handbook was a way of hazing our new medical design and outsourcing managing editor, Jim Hammerin. No, I mean, Jim, <laughs> no, Jim, Jim joined at the perfect time. We were almost done with it. He just got okay. to proof it All and right. gain insights on how, like, you know, he can make this like so much better in the future. I, I, I would suppose like you know, something like Excellent. that. And I'm glad you weren't trying to torture poor Jim. He did. No. See, he, he survived. He's still with us. And I'm looking forward to great things going forward. So, yes, Jim proofed the handbook and he's 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 excited and going forward. So we're all good. We're all good, Tom. We'll have him on the podcast uh, <laughs> shortly. But now we have a new feature on the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We have the Theranos Breakdown. I don't know. We haven't really come up with a breakdown. Probably doesn't work. Theranos Wrap-Up. How's a wrap-up work? Danielle Kirsch. Theranos Report. Theranos <laughs> Report. Danielle, are you familiar with the Theranos story? Yeah, Theranos, <laughs> Theranos is... 
as a there's that there's that saying if if you could stand up and give a TED talk on one thing unprepared, what would that be? And mine is always Theranos. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a fascinating case. And every time I tell my friends, you don't know Theranos, well, well how much time do you have? It, so. it, it is damn compelling. <laughs> I, I remember yeah. walking home, listening to uh, uh, Carrier's book on, I had it on audio and I'd be walking down the sidewalk and just be like, Oh my God. <laughs> like, right. People walking by would be like, what are, you, are you okay? It's like, yes, it's just, it's just outrageous <laughs> what I've had read to me. It's just, I'm very right. upset. So uh, you're, you now, then you have the unique opportunity then to follow one of your passions and follow the, the trial of uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Yes, that's why you were perfect to do our roundup, our daily roundup of, you know, the news that is out there, you know, around the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, Holmes's federal fraud trial, which is now underway. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of coverage out there and you do a great job of really uh, of aggregating all the good stuff. So uh, just quickly, we've had these were the, we're in the early days of the trial. What are the if, if our listeners had to give their own TED talk this weekend about the Theranos trial, what would be uh, one or two points that uh, they would want to uh, include in that uh, in that presentation? I think the two takeaways would be that on the second day of, of these trials, the uh, former financial controller for the company uh, took the witness stand and gave us really an inside look at the financials of the company and where the company actually stood in its heyday versus what was being told to the public. And I think the other takeaway is uh, one of the whistleblowers, Erica Chung, also took the witness stand and she kind of gave us an inside look at the lab and gave us the sequence of events that led to her to blow the whistles on their notes. That's interesting. Yeah. I know reading your article and mass device today on Thursday, I was uh, uh, reading her testimony and it, it was as if I'm rereading the, uh, the book again, because you just, all of this stuff has already been talked about. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how it, uh, how it all plays out in, in a court of law and what, and what yeah. the outcome is. And what's, what's unique about this is uh, Elizabeth Holmes is being tried separately from uh, Sonny Bolwami. So whatever verdict we get from this trial, we're going to have to go through a lot of this again with a second trial with Sonny Bolwami. Right. He's set to go on trial after Holmes's trial. Holmes's trial is set to end in, in December, like mid-December. Well, great stuff, Danielle. It's good to know you'll be uh, be tracking the coverage of, of the, the Theranos trial and, uh, and bringing those... Uh, quick summaries and reports here to the podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to bringing you more. All right. Well, McFarrell, welcome to the podcast. Great to be back here with you, Tom. And, uh, Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, no, we, we, we talked in a previous podcast I was doing and we, and we uh, cover your background and I want to get into that in a moment, but I also want to talk a bit about uh, just what life's been like at ResMed, uh, well, over the past 18 months, of course, but the last couple in particular with uh, all the changes in news in the apnea space. Remind me, if you will, though, how did you, uh, how did you find your way to, uh, to lead ResMed, uh, a powerful publicly traded uh, respiratory company? Well, Tom, yeah, so I, I was working uh, prior to ResMed after I finished my, my graduate study at MIT in uh, chemical engineering with a focus on biochemical uh, engineering. I, I worked over at, at Genzyme right. and spent some time there working on the hyaluronic acid um, supply chain and, uh, and working, working with the management team on that on surgical wound adhesion prevention uh, there at Genzyme. So not, not, not at the sort of core biotech side on Cerezyme and treating Gaucher's disease, but uh, on surgical wound adhesion prevention. And it was, I had a really good time there. And then I shifted, uh, you know, as you do in Boston to a different part and, and worked in management consulting for a while, really in the sort of technology side at Arthur D. Little and spent a lot of time with sort of Dow AgroSciences and the work they were doing uh, in um, tying together sort of the biotech industry 
industry with the agricultural industry in Indianapolis, and then also consulted with uh, with Dupont um, and a lot of the work they were doing in agrosciences and biosciences as well. So, um, and then from there, yeah, look, I I, uh, I actually uh, was looking to get back from Alfred a little back into either medtech or biotech, and and called up my, my dad for some advice between the two companies, and I think we covered this in the last podcast. We did. quickly. <laughs> yeah, he basically said, but, you know, look, if you go back to biotech, uh, you know, and I was 30 at the time, you're going to have, uh, you know, before you retire, you'll have three or four shots on goal, you know, three or four products, they're 15 year life cycles before you finish. If you go to med tech, uh, then you'll have 30 shots on goal because they're two year life cycles. You get a product, you know, get 510K, get it out there, test it rejig and, and come back again and you know i was just a little soccer player football as as we call it and uh i thought you know i'm not i'm a great shot but 30 shots on the whole three so then I, I said okay so you're saying i should go take this job with boston scientific that i was looking at he's like no i think you should take this job at resmed as a manager of business development and you know come out i'm not on the interview committee but fly out to san diego and you know at that time resmed was a 10 year old startup in 1999 it was a 100 million, 200 million, maybe uh, market cap company, maybe 100 million in sales. And uh, But I flew out and I remember doing an analysis uh, in consulting world, you do these two by twos. And it was the top right hand corner for everything. Great technology, great market opportunity, incredible team, incredible culture. And, uh, you know, an unmet need. Uh, which at the time we thought was 2 to 4% of the population might suffer from sleep apnea. Now we know, Tom, it's 936 million people worldwide who suffocate with obstructive sleep apnea. And that's what Resmed focuses like, like a laser on. And yeah, I've been here 20 years and I've been the CEO for the last eight years. And, and just to recap, your, your Resmed had been built around technology that your dad had uh, spun out or acquired out of Baxter, correct? Is that, am I remembering that correctly? You are remembering it precisely correct. And, and uh, yeah, it was actually, it was a management buyout of technology from Baxter Healthcare's Asia Pacific Group. And, and dad was VP of Asia Pacific R&D for Baxter. And they, they just shut down the whole division. And he said, mm. it's great. We've got 30 projects. You know, this one can go to the renal division. This one can go there. He said, but this one, this little breathing device, I think you should put it, you know, and, and start up or work with your respiratory division. They said, no, no, we don't want that. And so, Literally on the back of a napkin uh, with Jim Tobin, I believe, uh, he was able to buy this for $1.2 million. Australian dollars, Tom. <laughs> so that's only like 900K, 900K US. And the market cap this morning was north of $40 billion. So pretty good ROI for the old man there after the last 31 years. Uh, a, good, a good day for the Farrells. So, uh, so, well, let's talk about that, about, well, about apnea in particular and, and what has transpired over those 20 plus years to, uh, to help it become, to help, to, to help the seriousness of the disease become better known because you use the term uh, suffocation, which isn't usually uh, assigned to this disease. Usually it's just seen as more of a nuisance disease and it's not that. Uh, what is What has transpired in apnea over the last 20 years to, uh, to help it gain the recognition and to help companies like ResMed um, increase their, the products they're offering and the, and the sales they're generating? Yeah, no, look, it's a really good question because we always say our biggest competitor isn't, uh, you know, uh, some company from, from the Netherlands that, uh, uh, you know, or, or, or from, from um, Pennsylvania. Our biggest competitor is lack of education, lack of awareness or ignorance of sleep apnea because by definition, sleep apnea, you know, sleep, you, you have to be in an unconscious state 
to actually suffer from this disease. And apnea is just Greek for without breath. And so I say sleep suffocation, Tom, because it makes it more common term and it makes it something that's really visceral because suffocation, you know what it's like to suffocate. And, and if your bed partner took a pillow from your, from your bed and shoved it on your face and held it down for 15 seconds, which, by the way, is the definition of an apnea, it's 15 seconds minimum of suffocation. Wow. That is, a, is something you can visualize and feel. And so that's why I call it sleep suffocation, really, as, as sort of the marketing of it to get over our biggest competitor, which is ignorance. And, and yeah, look, uh, the, the 21 years actually now I've, I've been at ResMed and the 31 years that the industry's really been there since ResMed was founded in 1989, really founding this industry and, and driving it forward. Um, we've been laser focused on getting that awareness out. What's different today, Tom, than when I started the company in, in the year 2000, is that, you know, if I, if I got into a taxi, and we did take taxis back then in 2000 to a conference, and, and, the, and the taxi driver would say, you know, what do you do for a living? i said, say, oh, I work at, work at ResMed. And he said, well, what's that? I said, well, respiratory medicine. Uh, you know, we take care of sleep apnea. Oh, what's that? And I'd have to explain sleep suffocation. You know, you suffocate many times per night, and we treat that with a sort of non-invasive device that provides a pneumatic stent that allows you to breathe, and it changes your life, improves your heart rate, improves your cardiovascular system and your whole quality of life. But I have to go through that whole thing. Today, here in 2021, if I get in an Uber and uh, the Uber driver says, well, what are you doing? I say, well, I work for Resmond. He said, oh, the ventilator company that helped during the crisis, right, which is, which is interesting, during COVID. And secondly, he says, oh, sleep apnea. Yeah, my uncle has that. My brother has that. My sister has that. Uh, CPAP, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You make us? Oh, yeah, we're the number one provider of that in the world. Wow, my, uh, my brother loves the app that I have, that he gets data in his hands every day, and, and he talks about ResMed, and he talks about his interaction with the therapy. So I, I think the difference is we've got over the biggest competitor being lack of awareness. And what we've really done these last seven years is reinvent the industry around digital health. Mm-hmm. And now that we have 15 million 100% cloud-connectable medical devices on people's bedside tables and 9 billion nights of data, we're able to take those data and work through real-world evidence with large you know, government insurance groups, large private insurance groups, payer providers, and we're able to prove and show through big data and peer-reviewed published evidence that untreated sleep apnea leads to high blood pressure, heart attack, stroke rates, and even solid cell tumor cancer rates that are one, two, three, four, five, in the case of cancer, six X treated patients. And we're also able to show that when you treat the patients, you can improve quality of life, you can bend the curve of those chronic disease, and you can even, with the latest data that have been presented, Tom, you can save lives. We've proven that untreated sleep apnea has higher mortality than treated sleep apnea in peer-reviewed published evidence. So I think, Tom, the difference from 20 years ago when it was, oh, that breathing problem, that snoring problem, ha ha, you know, I read the the Pickwick papers, it turns now into, actually, it's not a joke, it's not funny, it's very serious, and suffocation, hypoxia, repeated hypoxia at night, leads to higher incidence of cardiovascular disease, a heart attack stroke, but also um, uh, rates of cancer. And when treated, can improve those outcomes, and we can now prove it by overlapping our 9 billion nights of data with your data in your ecosystem with your patients over time. You, you mentioned three uh, critical demographics with three critical parties, patients, physicians, and payers. Was there one that needed more convincing than the other? Is it patient awareness you really had to focus on? Was it the providers, the physicians who really had to understand how important it was, or was it getting people to, to pay for this, this device? 
Yeah, like like many things in life, Tom, that's almost a fi- false dichotomy to say, was it A or B or C? It's <laughs> A and B and C. And, and uh, yeah, it was all the above. I mean, I think, I think the, the hardest part is, is, the, is the patient, right? That, 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 um, that fact that you are unconscious when you suffocate. There's a lot of denial. It's, it's often the bed partner who uh, encourages uh, their bed partner to find their path to, to sleep apnea care because of the, the, the visceral and, uh, you know, noises of the snoring and, and the snorting upon recovery from the apnea because the suffocation itself is silent, but it's the recovery that makes a whole lot of noise. And so patient awareness has been one of our biggest challenges and still is. We actually formed a joint venture with Google's uh, sister company, uh, called Verily, uh, mm-hmm. focused on identification, engagement, and enrollment of sleep-concerned consumers. Because people know they have a problem sleeping. They wake up tired, they, they have these issues, but they don't know that they have sleep apnea. And so we, through that uh, joint venture, we're going to look to uh, uh, use the biggest search engine in the world to help people when they're searching for uh, a medical uh, uh, issue of sleep apnea. We want them to find their path to, to proper a screening, diagnosis, treatment, and management. And so patients, yeah, it's it's a really important area for us. We're investing a lot in patient awareness, social media, uh, partnerships, like I said, with tech companies and so on. Physicians, look, uh, you know, everybody within the uh, respiratory, and I'd include neurology, pulmonary um, uh, uh, specialties, knows knows the name ResMed, knows what we do, and knows sleep apnea is a real issue. Um, when, when we talk about physician awareness, we're talking about primary care physicians. We're talking about... Uh, wellness advocates and nurses, and we're talking about a greater ecosystem of wellness care that we really need to to drive to. And I think physician awareness is now higher than it ever has been about the importance of, of course, cardiovascular exercise, secondly, nutrition, but thirdly, to make it the triumvirate of health, Mm -hmm. is sleep health. That 33% of your life that you are unconscious, regenerating your limbs in your deep sleep and your slow-wave sleep, and regenerating your brain deleting the, 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 the synapses that got stuck in the day before during REM sleep and having crazy dreams that stretch your mind with new ideas during REM sleep that when you wake up, uh, you come up with, with amazing changes in the world. You know, Newton was napping when he came up with the theory of gravity. Uh, uh, Einstein was having a daydream. Uh, if you remember when he came up with the theory of relativity and Archimedes, of course, he fell asleep in the bath and, and his head went under water to come up with the theory of displacement. But it's, it's true that physician awareness, uh, even in those highly scientific areas, is something we have to work on. And, and I think the real world evidence that we're getting now from those nine billion nights of data and Carlos Nunez, our chief medical officer, calls it MedX Cloud. And he partners with all these key opinion leaders and takes the big data, combines it with really strong clinical hypotheses and analyses and overlaps it with databases from payers and providers and producers and publishers. Great data for physicians. So that's the second one. The third one, payers. Look, yeah, that's a, that's a uh, I can sit here all day and say, here's a peer-reviewed published evidence showing that CPAP lowers risk of death. And they say, fantastic. Prove it in my population. So then you have to sit down there with that payer and say, okay, let's overlap our data and yours. Let's combine the databases. Let's de-identify it. Let's analyze it. Let's look retrospective. Oh, wow, it looks like it's a good thing. Now prospective, let's take patients, put them in cohorts, A-B testing, and then prove it. And we're doing that. We sell in 140 countries worldwide. That's 140 different payer systems. Actually, it's a lot more than that because you just take one of those countries, the United States, it's 50 states, all with five payers. That's a 250 matrix there in one of the countries. But <laughs> hey, guess what? 
Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida, you know, Anthem in Connecticut, uh, Kaiser Permanente in California, we're going to go state by state, country by country, and what we're going to show is that we can help people sleep better, breathe better, and live better lives outside the hospital. And we're going to show we can lower uh, impacts of chronic disease, lower costs of chronic disease, treat people at lower cost, lower acuity areas, which is primarily their home. That's where we get 95% of our revenues. And we're going to improve quality of life for patients because that symptomatic relief means CPAP, APAP, bi-level, is very addictive. People get very addicted to oxygen and good sleep. They're very good nutrients, nutrients for a good life. Well, I, I want to follow up on that point, but have you worked at all or have others worked at all in improving how it is diagnosed? I remember 20 years ago, maybe 15, you involved a sleep lab. You had to go sleep somewhere. What's changed in that regard? Because you don't need to do that anymore, correct? Well, you do sometimes, and I okay. think that's the sort of okay. nuance. I, I mean, you know, all of medicine is, is a triage process. You know, from, from battlefields, they, they learned that process of take care of the high security patient first and then work your way down. And, and it's actually, a, it's a, it's a uh, you know, the Hippocratic Oath, right? Do no harm and take care of the sickest first. And, and so we, we definitely followed that during the COVID crisis where we pivoted our whole business to make 150,000 ventilators and take care of people with really severe needs, uh, life support ventilation, non-invasive ventilation, and so on. And, and I think, you know, over time, as we look at our industry, we've been able to, uh, to really apply, apply that technique and, and really take care of patients across, um, across the spectrum um, here at ResMed. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I look at sort of the evolution of the company from starting out just, just treating sleep apnea or sleep suffocation. You know, we've added on our ventilation capabilities so we can take care of patients with COPD, uh, and neuromuscular disease and their needs for ventilation there. But we've also added on with Propeller, you know, the ability to, to even have drug medications and digitally connect those. Mm -hmm. And then our, our software our software as a service side where, you know, we bought Brighttree in 2016, which was the start of that, but then Matrix Care Healthcare First, and we've now created this ecosystem of what I would call out-of-hospital care and digital end-to-end out-of-hospital care for sleep apnea, and we're doing the same for COPD. But I actually think that ResMed could, you know, help, help transform the whole industry through digital health and through the digitization, but also through transforming where care happens. Care shouldn't happen that you get really sick and you go into an ICU or CCU or an emergency room or urgent care. Care should start at the home and be preventative care. And that's where we get 95% of our revenues in, in, in out-of-hospital care and, and you know 95% of our profits. And that's where um, I think we can differentiate. But, but sorry, I think I, I missed on your question, Tom. You might want to repeat it. I think I, I, off on I was asking about just has it become easier to diagnose apnea than it had been? Has that helped? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I got lost on that whole sort of ecosystem thing. But it, it has. If I if, if I focus if I focus just on on sleep apnea, it, it absolutely has been. And the the need for um, and this is where I was going with that acuity sort of triage approach. For the, for the very sick patients that have neuromuscular disease, history of cardiovascular, history of stroke, or they might be at risk for complex sleep apnea or neuromuscular disease or overlap syndrome, which is where you have COPD and OSA, I think those patients do need to go to a traditional sleep lab and, mm -hmm. and be uh, you know, connected with EEG, EMG, EOG, EKG, a whole bunch of, of, of electrodes that really measure details of your brain, your cardiovascular system, your sleep to really characterize those those sick uh, conditions. Um, many countries around the world and, and many doctors, uh, you know, in this country, in the US and, and beyond have adopted home sleep apnea testing for when you triage to the sort of um, 
the large group of patients that are just there for the risk of obstructive sleep apnea, which, which is a simpler disease to diagnose than complex sleep apnea, <laughs> it's in the name, overlap syndrome, neuromuscular disease, insomnia, and in the other 200 sleep disorders that really do need uh, all, the, all the complexities of, of a sleep lab. But I think particularly during COVID, uh, what we found when, when sleep labs themselves were just closed, that uh, doc, a lot of doctors did that triage and said, okay, this cohort of patients I can line up and get through home sleep apnea testing. And, uh, you know, it's probably around 75 to 80% of diagnoses in France are done through home sleep apnea testing, which is a device that arrives at home, you set it up yourself, you get diagnosed and move out. Uh, in Germany, where prior to COVID, it was probably only 10% of the time that there was a home sleep apnea test. Obviously, they had to move up to like 80, 90% of their tests during the peak of COVID this time last year, German sleep labs were closed. Uh, they adopted home sleep apnea testing. And now on the other side, you know, I'm not saying it's going to become like France at 75, 80%, but I would say, you know, 20, 30% of the tests, even now on the other side of, of COVID are in Germany through home sleep apnea testing. Here in the United States, it's probably around 50%. 50% of the time you get uh, prescribed a home sleep apnea test by the doctor. And 50% of the time, you, you come into the lab. Many factors go into it, but um, I think patient acuity is the one that makes the most sort of logical sense. And, and that's the one where, you know, that doctor, that primary care doctor, that pulmonary doctor, that neurologist triages and says, Tom, I, I think uh, you, you are a good candidate for a home sleep apnea test. We're going to have it FedEx to your house and, you know, follow the instructions. And then if, it, if they're using the ResMed device, which is called the Apnealink Air, the data actually go to the cloud and the doctor can then see them the next morning while the device is still being FedEx back to you to get cleaned up, turned wow. around and to the next patient, the doctor can then review it with you. You can come into the office, you know, the day after, two days after the home sleep apnea test, get your results. And, and if it's positive, get a prescription right there for a, for a CPAP or an APAP. Well, I want to follow up on a few things you, you've mentioned, including COVID, but I, I do want to kind of close on, on apnea. And, and the, you mentioned uh, the company in the Netherlands, we're talking about Philips. Uh, they had the recall of their BiPAP CPAP machine. Uh, how has that impacted uh, the, 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 the CPAP industry generally and ResMed specifically? How have you sort of stepped up to... Uh, to fill the needs? Have you felt increased demand because people are, are switching machines? What what has been the impact on your company since uh, since that news? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, I want to start out with, uh, you, you know, this recall from uh, from Philips impacted three to four million people as, and field safety notices uh, in, in many countries around the world, as well as a recall in the US and, and field safety notices, you know, globally uh, in many, many countries. So three to four million people are at risk. And so I want to focus on them first and sure. say it's really tough for those three to four million individual persons that they now have to you know, go to a website, register their product and then and wait for a replacement from our competitors there. And so, um, yeah, while, while uh, Philips is, is really distracted for, they've said 12 months they're gonna take to, to go and replace all those devices that they need to replace. Uh, ResMed, you know, we were already the number one provider globally for CPAP, APAP, bi-level and ventilation, by the way, their recall also in their, their trilogy um, ventilators. And so, uh, you know, we, what we've seen, if we just, let's go back 20 months, right? With the start of COVID, uh, we had to pivot our whole company, our whole company to quintuple production of our astral life support ventilator, 350% production across our whole ventilator line 
to produce 150,000 ventilators. So we pivoted the company, went to our supply chain and said, you know, quintuple this flow of these products, parts and pieces and lots of lots of uncertainty there. But we delivered in a crisis and it was so amazing for ResMed to be there and to take care of people in 140 countries with those urgent needs for ventilation. And it was almost like as we got through that crisis and we're coming through what I call a U-shaped recovery back to diagnosis, treatment and, and taking care of ongoing management of patients with sleep apnea, COPD, asthma and out of hospital care. We're just coming out of that sort of slowly, quarter by quarter, getting more patients into the clinics, more patients uh, through the home sleep apnea testing, more patients uh, through the prescriptions for CPAP and, you know, our COPD rolling up our propeller technology and our non-invasive events and our high flow therapy for COPD and, you know, skilled nursing facilities and home health and hospice and HME was, was building up on Bright Tree and Matrix Care. Uh, and just, just as we're starting to get that smooth, steady recovery, uh, yeah, then there's this announcement. Um, uh-huh. Firstly, it was an announcement on an earnings call that was a quality issue. And then about six weeks later, an announcement, uh, June 14, uh, that our competitor had this massive three to four million uh, patient uh, recall, tenfold bigger than any recall in the history of the respiratory medical industry. Like it's the biggest recall in the history. And so we, it was shocking news. And that's like, uh, what is it now, 11, 11 and a half weeks ago? Uh, we spent the last 11 and a half weeks pivoting our whole supply chain to say, well, look, ResMed was always already the number one <laughs> in almost every market globally that we're in, all 140 countries. Um, we now have to be the number one and the number two because mm-hmm. our number two player is out of the game for, um, for you know, at the time they said, you know, maybe nine to 12 months. Now they're saying it's 12 months. And so what we've done, we've spent the last 11 weeks pivoting as we did a year ago, uh, but for that time, just for our ventilators, We've now gone to our supply chain and uh, we are working with them in incredibly difficult circumstances with COVID impacting planes and ships and shipping rates and, and, and factories opening and closing due to COVID uh, waves in various countries. But we're going for the parts, pieces and supplies because we are not limited for this unprecedented demand. We are not limited on the capacity of our plants in Singapore. We have a huge plant we just completed called Chuas in Singapore, um, and, and we have a, a, a large uh, plant in Sydney and great manufacturing also in Lyon, France, uh, and in a- Atlanta, Georgia. We've, we've got enough capability to, uh, to to meet all the production needs. The challenge is getting electronic components, and you've heard of semiconductor shortages mm-hmm. in other industries, automotive and communications industries. They're impacting us as well, and so we're limited by the parts and pieces we can get. But what I, what I said on our earnings call, uh, you know, maybe four or five weeks ago, is that we think over the next year there's three to 300 to 350 million dollars of incremental uh, uh, revenue that we can get and really importantly for your listeners that's hundreds of thousands of people that um, get a prescription uh, that we can now take care of those patients um, that you know we, we already had the number one share we can start to really go and, and help them um, get that uh, that CPAP that APAP that bi-level that ventilator once they've got the prescription it's going to be really tough and really tight on supply um, but we are going to take care of every single patient that we can Tom but we're pivoting our whole team to focus on that supply chain and make sure we get all the parts and pieces through and then we can distribute it all the way through to patients who need them. And do you have any concerns that it's going to uh, dampen some of the uh, interest in, in apnea and, and, and obtaining a CPAP machine? If some, or do you worry that people will say, you know, it's not worth the, the trouble and or the risk? Actually, I think I think it's the other way. I mean, you know, w- w- what's the reason people queue up around the corner for a new iPhone? It's because it's in limited supply and then they, they really want it. And I, I think it's actually, it's, it's a challenge for us because, 
unlimited supply, <clears throat> you know, un, 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 sorry, un, unprecedented and unlimited demand mm-hmm. with limited supply is a tough situation for, for that person. You know, that last person who misses out on the iPhone who waited around the corner is very upset. And so I think one of our biggest challenges is going to be making sure that we, yeah, we, we speed up our production as fast as possible to take care of those patients so that we, we show them the urgency of when you get that prescription that you're able to get a CPAP and an APAP by level, you know, as, as quickly as possible. You know, in the midst of this, Tom, we've launched our, our 11th generation. We call it the AirSense 11 platform. And this is, this is a platform that's smaller, quieter, more comfortable, more cloud-connected, and more digitally enabled and clever than any platform in the history of our company, the history of the industry, because we're the pioneer and we're the leader of the industry here in digital health. What I can tell you is that we've launched the Essence 11 in the US and Canada, sort of controlled product launch and now full product launch in two countries, but we're still gonna sell both the Essence 11 and the Essence 10 for at least the next 12 months to make sure that we can take care of all this unprecedented demand. And so it's almost like you're lining up around the corner for that for that iPhone. Well, you want the iPhone 12, well, we're gonna give you the iPhone 11 if you if you miss out on the iPhone 12, and we're gonna make sure we mm-hmm. take care of everybody who needs communication capability. And far more important than just having a supercomputer in your pocket that could communicate and text and talk, this is a device that helps you breathe every night, stops that suffocation, and in our case, engages you in digital health better than ever before. I'm I'm really excited about the Essence 11 because it's got double the adoption rate of people adopting the digital health solution that we call MyAir. It's an app that sits on your phone that people engage with their therapy. It was about 30% pickup rate on the the old platform, Essence 10. I mean, it's amazing. 30% of people had an app and wanted to engage and see the Resmid brand, but more importantly, engage with their therapy every day. That's now north of 60% on our control product launch for the Essence 11. So look, it's a crisis. We're dealing with it by bringing new technology, by uh, supporting the existing technology, but we're really transforming the industry. And this share we're taking now from Philips, I, I believe it's going to be permanent share because the way I look at it is when somebody gets onto our digital end-to-end solutions, they don't want to leave it whether it's the provider where we lower costs for the provider by 50% setting a patient up using our digital technology or the patient where the adherence rate goes up to 87% plus, Tom. And this is peer-reviewed published evidence. 87% plus adherence on on patients using uh, uh, all the tech, which is good for patients, good for doctors, and good for provider systems because we've proven that an adherent patient costs less to the insurance system, and obviously um, improving quality of life and lowering mortality is good for, for the whole ecosystem. That's great. And I know you've got to get going and you've given me a lot of time. I appreciate it. Uh, how, how uh, we focus a lot on apnea and you hit upon earlier some of the other areas you're addressing, COPD and such. What does ResMed look like now in terms of the different respiratory elements it's it's uh, helping people with? And what does it look like five years from now? Is, is apnea going to continue to be the major part? Is it going to be uh, divided differently? What is How is the company changing? Well, look, you know, I'll finish where I started with with 936 million people worldwide in 140 countries suffocating. You know, apnea is always going to be a huge part of ResMed's mission. We were founded, you know, to to help those patients. ResMed, you know, original founding, ResMed stands for respiratory medicine, right? So taking care of that most important sleep suffocation is going to be a huge part of ResMed's business for the next five, 10 plus years because, the, the, the you know, we're... <laughs> we're, we're 
we're no more than 80, 85% penetrated into the US market. We're no more than 90% penetrated uh, uh, into the European markets, developed markets worldwide. Mm-hmm. We, we know, we've got 19, 99% of the opportunity left uh, for us in front of us. Uh, sorry, uh, in 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 those other markets. So what I meant to say, we're we're no more than twenty twenty five percent penetrated in the US. So eighty to eighty five percent of the opportunities in front of us in Europe, ninety percent of the opportunities in front of us in Asia, ninety percent. Mm-hmm. So in short, we've got a long road ahead in, in sleep apnea, our core market. But COPD, why I like it, and it's becoming uh, more and more important for us is. It's, you know, 380 million people, so a lower population, but very, very ill people that are frequent flyers in the hospital. So, Tom, if we can get our digital inhalers, our propeller inhalers to a large population of people, we will be impacting the healthcare system by reducing really what are people who who become frequent flyers in the emergency room down significantly and saving millions, maybe billions globally for the healthcare system by keeping COPD patients out of hospital with those inhaled medications and with the combination of high flow therapy and ventilation. So I think COPD will become, you know, a larger and larger portion of of ResMed's business. And the third leg of the stool, as you talked about, our software as a service for home medical equipment, uh, for skilled nursing facilities, home health, hospice and private duty home care. Uh, that's already 12% of our revenues. We actually call it out as a separate, you know, sector that we report publicly every quarter. I, I see that growing from 12 to 15 to 20 to 25% of the business because that sector is is undertaken care of. And I think ResMed's the only strategic player, the only public company truly investing for the long term in out of hospital software as a service. And uh, I think we have a unique position and we've done really well these last five years since we bought Brightree. I think um, the unmet need there is huge as well. So like with your discussion, is it patients, physicians or payers? It's yes, yes and yes. Is it sleep apnea, COPD or software? The answer, Tom, is ResMed's going to do yes, yes and yes. And at ResMed, you know, you could stretch it from just respiratory medicine to residential medicine. ResMed could stand for residential medicine because all of those areas of treatment were taking care of you where you live. And the vast majority of the time, if you ask someone, where do you want to age? Where would you like to be taken care of? Where would you like your health care, your home care, your wellness care? They say the home. Everybody says that. It's where you're happiest. It's where you have all your great memories. Why do you want to go to a sick place like a hospital where there's E. coli and the food and the staph infections in the corridors? And guess what? Higher incidence of COVID. Um, you want to be mm-hmm. taken care of in the home. That's where I think ResMed is, is uniquely positioned in digital health and out-of-hospital care to, to transform the market and to truly transform healthcare. Does, uh, you, you mentioned COVID, and we talked a bit about it earlier, and, and you gave a great explanation of, of your pivot. But does uh, the what will likely be a lingering presence of, of this and other respiratory ailments, does this, is this something you're developing products for? Has it changed at all your focus uh, in actual developing products to treat people or prevent COVID? Are you, are you looking in that area at all since you are a respiratory company? Or was that sort of a one-off pivot at a time of need last year when the ventilators were so essential? Yeah, look, I think there'll be ongoing waves. I mean, we're, we're now with the Delta wave. I think we're going to run out of Greek letters through all the variants <laughs> we have as the pandemic becomes an endemic over the next, you know, three, five, ten years. And so, you know, we sent 28 pallets of ventilators to India just last quarter. Um, so I, I do mm-hmm. think there will be more surges 
uh, and and more needs of those. And I think what we've shown is that we're resilient. We're able to okay, let's pivot, let's make those, and now let's move on. I think there's some great learnings. I mean, the importance of digital health was shown through COVID. Getting, as you said earlier, you know, screened, diagnosed, and treated, and managed in the home digitally. Um, but, you know, it was really, really doctors adopted that during COVID. So that digital health adoption, I think, is higher than it's ever been. Another thing of COVID is it taught us the importance of respiratory hygiene and respiratory health. I mean, mm-hmm. you die primarily through suffocation of the lungs as, as the COVID uh, creates mucus that suffocates you from the inside. That's the primary cause of death, right? Suffocation through the lack of ventilation and oxygen transfer. So people, you know, now they're replacing their masks and their tubing and their humidifiers at much higher rates because they realize that having a clean mask and a clean system for sleep apnea or COPD treatment is really important. And so that's a secular change that wasn't temporary. Interesting. It, it stuck around, you know, and, and so that's really good for us because, you know, obviously we take care of all those, uh, you know, trailing revenues, if you like, from the business side. But really importantly, patients keeping them adherent. You want a clean mask? We'll get it to you. We'll ship it to your home and we'll have it digitally available. But the third thing, and it links back to what I was, I was, I was closing with earlier, out-of-hospital healthcare became more important than ever before. People said, I don't want to go to a hospital. I'm seeing all those, you know, literally in New York, like it was awful, the, the, the sickness happening in those hospitals during the crisis. People have said, which is really good, I shouldn't get health care at the hospital. I shouldn't get wellness care at the hospital. I should get health care and wellness care from my primary care doctor, preferably through a Zoom link like this, Tom, where it's at home. We, we, you can diagnose and treat all the signs and symptoms that don't require a physical test. And if there is a physical test, we can drop ship it to you and get it done that way. So I think that out-of-hospital health care, importance of respiratory health, and the importance of digital health all would double down on during COVID. And I think all of those are permanent changes and actually speed up ResMed's 2025 strategy because all of those are part of our long-term strategy. Fantastic. And this is just a housekeeping question. You mentioned the, the, the relationship with Verily, uh, the, the, the dissolution of, of Google Health. Is that impacting work with Verily? Is Verily doing it all in MedTech or is that a completely different? Yeah, they're, they're two completely separate companies. So Verily is the one yeah. that's, that's got all the, you know, de-identified data. They treat everything like it's clinical and so on, whereas Google is the sort of consumer tech company. I actually, sure. you know, as I read that announcement, you know, I think the Google Health, uh, you know, as a separate division within Google was, was dissolved. But all those leaders, and I know many of them, have gone off to within the P&L functions within Google. So healthcare, wellness care, will still be part of the search engine part, will still be part of all the divisions within within Google. It'll just be within the existing existing divisional structure, sort of P&L structure within Google. Um, but yeah, no, Verily is the one where we're going to do research and it's very, very clinical. But I actually want Google Health as an ecosystem to continue to help people when they type in something that sounds like they're searching for a medical cause, that it helps think of it in a health way, not just a consumer way. So I think it's both mm-hmm. end. I think Google Health will help to sort of in that consumer health overlap area. And I think Verily will be the one where you're looking at pure health econ and outcomes research. And that's where we're investing our work with them, with our Premasun joint venture with Onduo over in diabetes and lots of great opportunities for us in that ecosystem, but also in the many other healthcare systems that we participate in. Great. Now I will let you go. McFarrell, thanks for the time and for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's great to talk with you again. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Now is the time when we uh, ask people to find us and follow us on social media. Danielle Kirsch, where can uh, folks find you out there? I'm on Twitter at Danielle underscore Kirsch, K-I-R-S-H, and same name on LinkedIn. 
Fantastic. And Chris Newmarker, I've been giving yours the entire time. It's nice to have you there do it you for go. yourself. Like, go again. do it yourself, Newmarker. <laughs> it's like <laughs> <laughs> at Newmarker, as, as, as in a Newmarker. Newmarker. New yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, you know, uh, yeah, like, follow, subscribe. Always good to always good to like discuss things with people. Great to have you back. And I am at MedTech Tom on Twitter, Tom Salemi on LinkedIn. Please uh Connect to all of us when you share this podcast episode. We'd love to be part of those conversations. Please do, as Chris suggested, subscribe or follow these podcasts on uh, our podcast channels. We're on Amazon, Spotify, Google, Apple, and others. And we're going to close with some in memoriam music for Barry. <laughs> you don't know what happened to Barry. Let's not assume the worst. We'll stick with Barry's like. <laughs> You might have gone. You might not have gone to that that hole in the ground in the sky. All right, well, that's a wrap. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast waiting for you. Enjoy the fall. Enjoy the fall.